presents the Pick 6 Podcast, featuring CBS NFL writers Pete Prisco and Will Brinson, NFL insider Jason Lockenfora, and host Nick Costos. You want NFL talk? We've got NFL talk. From training camp to the Super Bowl and through the NFL draft, our fearsome foursome has you covered. This is the Pick 6 Podcast. Big Six Podcast, Football Friday. Nick Costos, Pete Briscoe, Jason Lancampora, Will Brinson on assignment, probably at a birthday party with his four-year-old. I hope Will is having a good time. Um, let's get right into it, guys. We had about a half hour here to get a lot of NFL news in. And let's begin with Jimmy Garoppolo's contract extension. Five years, $137.5 million. Jimmy G, after seven starts, going to be making $27.5 million per year, the highest per year average in NFL history. I need to hire his agent. Pete, I'll give you first word on this Jimmy Garoppolo extension with San Francisco. Look, I if mean, you don't have one, you better get one. And they clearly wait, have hold, one. Hold, hold, hold on a second. I said, hey, Pete, first word. Pete, first word. And Jason goes, I mean, incredible. That was awesome. Go ahead, Sorry. Pete. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, look, the bottom line is, if you don't have a quarterback, you better find one and lock him up. Are they rushing? You know, could they have tagged them? Of course they could have, but they obviously believe this is their long-term answer. They like what they saw from him when he was there, and it makes all the sense in the world. Is the money crazy? Of course it is, but he just happens to be the next one. And the bottom line is, they believe it. Whether we believe it, you believe it, Nick, or I believe it, or Jason believes it, they believe it. They're going to sink or swim with this. If he's the greatest thing in the world, then it's a bargain deal. If he's Rob Johnson, Matt Flynn, David Garrard, all these teams that rush to pay quarterbacks, then they got a big problem. But the bottom line is they believe it. It makes all the sense in the world. You forgot Scott Mitchell. Um, Scott well, Mitchell threw for 4,000 yards one year, by the way. Just, one year. Just to... Well, go look at – go extrapolate Garoppolo's, what he's done through his whatever, six or seven NFL starts to a full season. It's, uh, it's not too shabby. Um, look, should they have done the deal – in December or November, whenever, when did they make the trade? November. Should have, what, he sat a month? Uh, pretty much. It was, it was what? It, it was October 30th. I, I think mean, they got the him at the trade deadline, week eight. He sat for a month. I mean, should you have gone to him then and tried to get him for $75 million for three years with an option at the end or something like that? Or a fourth year that automatically vests if he hits certain, uh, certain metrics? Absolutely. And, his agent, Don Yee, fully expected that to happen. And there was a couple weekends when he sat there at games in the Bay Area waiting for Jed York or Prague Morath or somebody to kickstart negotiations, but they didn't. And if you're Don Yee and you know the market and you know the strength of your client, then you're not in any rush because they're going to have to tag him, just like New England would have to tag him, and we're negotiating off of the tag. And that's essentially what they did without having to go through the minutia of you know actually applying the tag February 20th. So – I don't think it's cr- – I mean, crazy money, who, who knows? I mean, it's the rate of doing business with a guy you think can be a top-10 quarterback. And there's plenty of empirical evidence and eye evidence and film evidence and anecdotal evidence and what McDaniels thinks of him and what Brady thinks of him and what Belichick thinks of him. You know, there's enough there to say the kid's probably got a, you know, a better shot than not of being special. So, yeah, you got to pay him. And to only have given up – what, the 34th overall pick for him? I mean, th- look, no one's no one's going to be crying over the money if this kid keeps playing at anything close to the level he's been playing at. And he hasn't had anybody around him yet. 
I think it's impressive to do a business at the quarterback position, right? And the guy's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, you guys know, I'm the biggest Jimmy Garoppolo fanboy there is. I mean, the guy comes in a couple weeks in Kyle Shanahan's system. It took Pete's boy, Matt Ryan, a year to figure out uh, Kyle Shanahan's system. Garoppolo, in a couple weeks, has got it down. Goes 5-0, and beats three playoff teams in the final three games of the season. I know the Rams were sitting everybody in Week 17, but still. I mean, And, and he, Jacksonville he had clinched already tra- that week, too, so that Pete, game wasn't Pete, the- they were Pete, they were trying to win that game. Jacksonville I don't want, was trying to get the best playoff spot they could get, man. I don't want the revisionist history on the Jacksonville game. Okay, he bombed that defense. True or false? Yeah, I, I, I say what? He, they killed him that day. I'll give him all the credit in the world. He was fantastic, and the scheme was great that day. So. But no, but, like, but this is a guy that, like, the Niners have been a moribund franchise since Colin Kaepernick missed Michael Crabtree in the end zone of the, of the Niners-Ravens Super Bowl at the end of the game. And this guy came in and in the span of like six weeks, two months, transformed them now where the Niners are going to be a chic playoff pick this year. I mean, John Lynch has proven to be a fairly competent GM. I mean, we'll see what happens. It's only been one offseason so far. But, I mean, you put some weapons around him. They got some good free agents out there at the receiver position. Beef up that offensive line. Like, tell me why the Niners can't be a playoff team next year. Because the Seahawks are in that division and the Rams are in that division. <laughs> That's good. Two we'll good see. reasons. I wouldn't be stunned. I, I wouldn't be stunned. I thought I they think had they're, talent I think to, they're go, one, to win six last year. Yeah, I think they're one more year away from really being a dominant team. I mean, that, that's, I think next year they'll probably get to seven somewhere in there. And then the following year they could be 11. I mean, that, that, that's where they're headed. And, and you guys know for all the criticism I give Kyle Shanahan for his botching of the Super Bowl. And I do believe he botched it. He's still one of the brightest offensive minds in the game. And I think that works. And, and, and John Lynch knows football. It's not right. Look, the guy's been around the game his entire life. He knows how to put together a football team. They could be really good on defense, by the way. Let's not forget that side of the ball. They got a well, lot of young guys. I think if Reuben Foster stays healthy, man, if Reuben Foster stays healthy and if they could ever get, you know, uh, the two D tackles at the same time, you know what I mean? If they had, uh, well, one of them is always hurt when those guys get yeah, together. But and they had those forget. two together. I mean, if they had a spine of those two, and Thomas, with, with let's not Foster forget Thomas. I'm talking about up the Thomas. middle, though. I'm talking about their spine. I mean, if that's where they are up the middle defensively, look out. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, some others may be pretty happy about this development. I mean, if Jimmy Garoppolo got 27.5, Aaron Rodgers is going to get at least 30, I would think, since well, Rodgers. I mean, yeah. look, by the time the season starts, three or four guys will have – leapfrogged him. That's how it is. This is a fluid situation. Joe Flacco, remember when he was the highest paid NFL player for like no, and three it, weeks? And, and it's hilarious. I remember mean, when Derek Carr was the highest paid NFL player? It's like these things happen yeah. for like, you're the highest paid player for like two weeks before. I mean, what is it, what does it mean for Kirk Cousins? I, I mean, I think Cousins was looking at 28 to 30 no matter what. I mean, I, I think it just solidifies that market. For him, right, so, I think so, it, it solidifies it for him. It, it means Drew Brees is looking for $60 million for two years. You know, and then Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers, by the start of the season, will probably have jumped both of them. All right, so what are we hearing on the, Jason, on the Indianapolis Colts head coaching search now with Josh McDaniel staying in New England? I mean, I, I was told, you know, Dan Campbell or Frank Reich, and we'll see how those end. And they're talking to Leslie Frazier as well, but, um, you know, I, I was told to bet on one of those two. I think Frank Reich's a little safer from a personality standpoint, just from a, um emotional standpoint. He's not going to get too high, not going to get too low. Um, you know, I, I think he, he's been around a lot of good quarterbacks, and, and he's been there before, specifically in Indianapolis. Um, he, he's worked with 
he's done good work with a lot of different guys and a lot of different staffs. And he was nearly the head coach at University of Maryland a few years back. You know, had you know, he, he's had opportunities to interview for jobs before. Um, is he the most dynamic personality in the world? No, but I don't know that that's what they need there right now. They need somebody um, who, who's got, you know, uh, not a huge ego, who's, who, can, who can work seamlessly with a staff that's going to be hodgepodge together and is going to include some guys who preceded him there. And it's going to be someone who can get that offense and Andrew Luck on a track. And I think Daryl Bevel's got a very good shot to be the offensive coordinator, no matter who the head coach is. And we'll just have to see. I mean, you never know how these things are going to play out, and it's less than ideal. But if McDaniels had cold feet, I'd rather find out now than start seeing it in September or October. Well, I mean, look. Yeah, look, the bottom line is Frank Reich has done an outstanding job with that offense. You hope that if he goes there, what he has learned from Peterson to be aggressive will carry over because, look, they can be aggressive with luck all they want. They they can build that whole thing around being aggressive and driving the ball down the field. They got pieces in place there to do so. But, you know, there's some people that have doubts about him being the head coach. I don't. I think he'd be a great head coach. Dan Campbell, to me, is a weird – that's a weird one. And I know everybody's looking so for the next – a little too spastic, don't you think? A yeah. little too aggro, you know? Yeah. A little too emotions on his sleeve, like – Yeah, yeah, that one – that one's for that situation, that would be I, – I would more go – I would be – tend to lean toward the Frank Reich hire if, if that's the situation, if that's the choice between the two of them. And, you know, it's funny, right? Because I feel like I try and put myself in, like, the, the fan shoes, like, with, with some of these things that happen, and, like, from their perspective. If I'm a Colts fan here, like, it's not even close. You'd much rather have Frank Reich than Dan Campbell, right? I mean, for, Reich is a former quarterback, an offensive guy, was the offensive coordinator of the team that just won the Super Bowl, coached an MVP-type season out of Wentz before he got hurt, co- coached the Super Bowl MVP out of the backup Nick Foles. Like, this is almost like a slam-dunk home run that falls in your lap. And look, I know it's obviously revisionist history at this point, or hindsight's twenty twenty. but McDaniels could have been, and Jason, I know you love McDaniels, McDaniels could have very well been a disaster in Indianapolis, given the fact that he had cold feet. Like, who knows what would happen if he had went there. This could end up being the best thing that happened to the Colts. I mean, I think you go out and you hire Frank Reich, and I don't even think you think twice about it, right? I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. Reich and Schwartz both kind of fell through the cracks this hiring cycle. And I thought one of them for sure would end up as a head coach somewhere, especially if you started getting up to eight openings or nine, whatever it was. Um, yeah, I think you call it a day and say, you know, look, this guy, we're going to move forward with him, and, and he fits the bill, and and we're lucky to have him, and, and everything happens for a reason. Look, I wrote a column midweek. This could be a win-win-win. The biggest winner, as always, are the Patriots because they were effed if Josh McDaniels left the building, and they knew it. There was no next man up. There was no ace in the hole. You know, the Brian Dables of the world, other guys who've been there before who they liked are gone. They were in a bind. And Tom Brady, as you guys know, holds people to a certain standard. Only three people have had the OC title there since Brady, during Brady's 18 years. Charlie Weiss, Bill O'Brien, Josh McDaniels. Nobody else has had the OC title. They've had other guys, Dante Scarnecchia, you know, offensive assistant. No, 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 wait a second. Make me the offensive coordinator, and we'll, we'll be just fine, me and Tom. It, it's really funny. I was just going to say that, like. Uh, like the, really? Say you, the, Tom, like, and a bunch of seventh-round guys who were 5'9", 190 It doesn't matter. Pounds, He's got Tom. And then Gronk Tom runs the show. It's Tom. 100%. Yeah. So, 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 Jason, no, 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 because here's the thing. Cause I'm thinking the same thing, Jason, as, as you're saying that, that Pete is. When we go, the Patriots were after if McDaniels didn't come back. 
what, did I miss something? Like, is Brady, did Brady retire? Like, seriously. You no, you, you're going to put Tom Brady with some kid from Ohio State who runs a lot of RPOs and say, you know, have at it, guys. Hey, Tom, teach him the offense the next seven months. Like, Brady's going to tell the guy to screw off. Like, it's Brady's, it's Brady's deal. Do you think Belichick Brady's knows not the calling the plays, offense, dude. Brady's not calling the plays. He's not calling the plays. No. Somebody's got to call the plays. You think Brady could if he needed to or go to the line and audible? I guess, but is that really at age 41 now you're going to thrust that on him too? I mean. <laughs> He's the greatest of all time. He can't audible at the line of scrimmage. What are we talking about here? Hey, Tom, we're going to run this. Oh, no, we're going to run that. Okay, you run that, Tom. <laughs> Come on. Like, what, what they Jason, run, Jason I, like, look, McDaniels, McDaniels is ready to be a head coach. I would agree with that. I thought this was a bad look for him all the way around. Bad look. But. Don't don't put so much into the stock of being the offensive coordinator of the New England Patriots. It isn't that hard a job, okay? Oh, but no, but look, Jason's point though. Do they okay. fight? Do they fight to keep all their coaches there? Have they locked somebody in an office while he's packing it up, about to get on a private plane, and had the owner calling his wife and you know the coach promising this and promising that and Jonathan Kraft and and Robert Kraft and I mean that's not. Standard operating procedure. Is all Neither is backing so out clearly, of an agreement to be the head coach of another team. They see some value to having him there, and it's not just let's screw the Colts either. Please, no, that's not obviously that's not just what it is. But 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 come on, Jason. It, look, he's a really. I think Josh McDaniels would be a terrific coach in his second go around. I've said that many a time. But let's do not. you think he's a top two or three offensive coordinator? I mean, he's never had any success outside of Brady as an offensive coordinator, right? Right. He's only without him for what? One point? Tebow for or whatever. What did he have for a year? He had Kyle Orton. Who the hell did he have in Denver? Brady Kyle Quinn. Orton. He drafted <laughs> Brady Tebow. Quinn. No, Kyle Orton was his quarterback. <laughs> yeah. And then he had one year in the Rams with, what, an injured Bradford or whatever? Um, yeah. And they were last. I, I think, uh, I think weren't they last pretty, in total offense that good. year? No, but what about – I can't put stuff. He's never had a because... he's never had a featured back. I mean, whatever. Regardless, they, they valued him. Brady valued him. Hey, he's a brilliant offensive mind, Jason. But let let's not overcomplicate it. It's pretty it's it's pretty easy to run an offense when you got Brady running it. No, no, and I, and I love this. Like, and and look, I, I, this is a little bit of I'm going back on my work because I thought McDaniel's would be good. Also, like at this point, like you, we keep saying, oh, McDaniel's is going to be a great head coach. Like he just. And I, Belichick did the same thing, so I guess it's it's whatever. But I mean, I, I think the Colts are going to turn out to be winners in this whole thing, and I think it could be a win-win-win for everybody. McDaniel's takes over for Belichick. For the Patriots for keep him for now, and Frank Reich might be a great fit, or whoever might be a great fit for the Colts. There, but you got to admit, he's not the end of the world. But you got to admit, he's not going to be there when he takes over. Like he's not going to have Brady when he, he takes over. He's, don't you think part of the reason they wanted to keep him there was to help them find the next guy? Well, they he have him. Has any role. Dude, some let me ask you this. Does Bill Belichick have a bit of a blind spot for offensive uh, skill guys? Like, they drafted running backs high. I mean, they hit on Gronk, but, I mean, he's been there 18 years now. Their leading receiver is Wes Welker. I mean, you know what I mean? Who'd take a flyer on an undrafted guy? Like, let's just be real. You don't think McDaniels would have is going to have a say in trying to figure out who the next quarterback would be? Yeah, you don't like think McDaniels had anything to do with Garoppolo being drafted yes. there? <laughs> yeah, like, like he did when he drafted Tebow. Tebow. He was spot on about that one. <laughs> who bats a thousand? 
Oh, well, I mean, that's a swing and a miss dude, right there. Nobody got, got that game. Dude, was that was good. Urban Meyer all over him, and Meyer is Belichick's guy, and they really wanted that kid to get drafted in the first round. He got hoodwinked. Jason, but I want to ask you this 100% because, uh, I mean, I, I want to hear what you say. Do you, is there defending? Is there any defense of what McDaniels did? Go read my column. I'm not defending what he did. I'm just saying it's not completely unprecedented. He made himself completely radioactive to 31 other teams. But you're naive to think he didn't understand what he was doing while he did it. I'm not defending it on any level. You give your word, that's what the league is supposed to be, a league of gentlemen. You give your word, we wait for you for six weeks, you're going you're gonna to at some point have come to us previously and said, I have cold feet, you're not going to do it hours before our plane is supposed to leave with you on it to come to Indianapolis for a press conference the next day. I'm not defending any of that. But I'm just saying, you would have thought this is the greatest atrocity in the history of pro sports, and I'm like, Gee, I don't know. Dude, you ever it, heard of like? It's, it's, it's horrific. Like, I mean, it oh, was horrific! Ridiculous. It's horrific. Did he have a signed contract? Horrific! Oh, come on! Had man. they like, waited that, twelve that hours? Wait, let me just say this: Had they waited twelve hours to put out the release, would that have been the end of the world? Okay. Like, if he so, lay wait for him to land on the plane, I'm just yeah, saying. But, like, if they waited, here's, here's, if they waited for him to sign the contract, if they waited for him to sign the contract, would that have been the end of the world? I've covered pro sports since I was 19 years old. I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody said, well, no, we're not, we're not saying it's official until he's passed his physical and signed the contract. Well, we're not, we're not just going to go with a term sheet. We're not, it's not official. We won't announce it. We won't confirm it. We won't acknowledge its existence until everything is signed, sealed, delivered. I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard that, covering baseball, football, hockey, because I wouldn't need to work anymore. So I'm just saying, this is not – like, I mean, have you ever heard of actors who have a deal and then they go home and they're supposed to fly to Australia the next, like the next day for three months of filming and they're like, I just can't do it. Or filming the, the financing falls out of a movie project because somebody decides at the end of the day. Oh my God, you're going way it. off. The, you're going way off the grid, dude. You're really off really? the grid here. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. Like your brain really? is right, but you're a little off. I can, re- how, I can remember three years ago, the Orioles have a verbal with Dexter Fowler. Right, he's going to come in and be their leadoff hitter. In a year, they won 95 games. He's their big free agent signing. They've got a verbal. He's agreed to terms. They've announced it. They told the beat writers it's happening. And then Theo Epstein re-recruits him before he packs his bag. Well, that happens with players, but sometimes in in the coaching profession, and it's happened before. Look, Belichick did it. Right, he did it. Did Nick Saban not come out and say what was it? Nick Saban, I am not. I'm. I've never talked to LSU. I mean, I'm just saying, come on now, people. Let's not all be rubes, to use your word, Pete. Let's all not be completely naive as to how things happen sometimes in the big leagues. I'm not defending it. I'm also saying I don't think it's, quote-unquote, horrific. I don't think it's a, quote, atrocity. And I don't think it's the most horrible thing that anybody's ever done to a franchise. All right, real quick. Okay, so a couple of things we got to hit here. we got about 10, 12 minutes left. Um, John D. Filippo, Pete, the new offensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. I love this hire by Mike Zimmer to replace Pat Shermer. Yeah, I mean, look, he, but he's never called plays, right? I mean, so it's a big step up. It's going to be a different part of a thing season in Cleveland. Part of a season in Cleveland. Yeah, part. But he's he's never been the, the, the picked as the primary play caller. Didn't he? he? Got inherited that, if I'm not mistaken, by by I something. But so. but the bottom line is, he's ne- this is a big step up for him. But if again, if he's learned what anything from Doug Peters and Frank Reich, then I think it's a great hire for him. I mean, look, he's going to be aggressive. He's not going to be afraid. This is a dawning of a new age of coordinator. I love it. 
Guys who aren't afraid to make take shots down the field and take chances. I mean, this league has been crying for that for years, and finally we have a tree that's going to spoo some of it out and get it out there to the other teams. I love it. Well, we hope. We hope. I mean, we hope. That'd be great. I mean, the only problem with that is things. it kind of goes against the grain of what Mike Zimmer wants to do, right? I mean, isn't that a little different? Unless he's going to change well, his ways now. I, I mean, uh, pardon me for stating the obvious, but – the only quarterback they have under contract right now for 2018 is the kid on the practice squad who's never thrown a pass. So, yep. you know, gee, they, they kind of still need to navigate that. So, Correct. Um, <laughs> you know, on paper, but, we like this higher, though, right? On paper, at yeah, least? It's, it's worth a shot, absolutely. It's worth a shot, and obviously they thought he was uh, more ready than their quarterback coach who they already had there, who now will be, Stefanski. what I'm told, joining Pat Shermer. Yeah, Kevin Stefanski will be, I'm told, will be joining Shermer. Um, who obviously just left the Vikings for the Giants. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, I think I, I think he and Case Keenum could do some interesting things together. We'll see how that shakes out. Again, you know, do they if put, the do quarterback they put a is a mess, tag or something be a, on Keenum? If the quarterback situation isn't good, it's going to be a problem no matter who calls plays. That's why. Yes, that's why. Call. Thank you for that. Thank you for that bit of breaking well, I mean, news. See, I mean, we just went through that whole thing with Tom Brady. It's the exact. It's the flip side of it, isn't it? Yeah, just like yeah we're not disputing that, Captain Obvious. Did you read that in a fortune cookie somewhere? <laughs> you you just disputed it in a box. So I don't know what you're talking about. No, Nick, I tried to say that No, 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 no. I tried to say that acknowledging that, dude, who who strokes Tom Brady more than me? I just wrote a column saying Tom Brady's underrated. So, just, but, yes, so I acknowledge the existence of Tom Brady. I'm also saying I believe Josh Shanahan, I'm Josh Shanahan, Josh McDaniels is right there. Excuse me, with Kyle Shanahan and one or two others, Sean McVay, in terms of being a truly elite schemer and somebody whose preparation and game game calling are excellent. That's all, all I'm right. saying. All right, so we've ten minutes left here. Let's hit the Hall of Fame because we have yet to do that on the podcast. Um, thank God that they got it right. Um, getting Terrell Owens and Pete. I know that you wanted Baselli in, but I mean the biggest thing for me by far was Terrell Owens needed to be in the Hall of Fame, and I still think it's an outright disgrace and a sham and an embarrassment that T.O. had to wait two years to get in before being elected in year three. But good on the voters for finally getting it right with T.O. I don't know that Erlacher is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't know that I would have voted for him. He is now. Obviously. I don't know that I would have voted for him on the first ballot. I think eventually he would he gets in. And I don't know if yeah. I would have elected Brian Dawkins this early in the process. Like, I, I, I watched them both. I thought John Lynch was a better player than Brian Dawkins. That's just me. But, um... Ray Lewis, obviously, first ballot. Randy Moss, obviously, first ballot. It's tough to be really angry about this class here. So we don't have a ton of time, so I want to give Pete first word here, only because Pete had that the column about needing to change the process here. So, Pete, give us a quick summation of that and your take on this year's Hall of Fame class. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've said it all along. It just didn't have to do with Baselli. I've been saying it for years. I think the process is, is, is flawed because you shouldn't have, be forced to go into a room and have people convince you who to vote for. It's a bad process. I don't like that. If you're given the honor of being a Hall of Fame voter, you should be calling around, getting taped, doing your work, finding GMs, finding personnel guys, finding ex-players to, to find out the information on the guys and see if they truly are worthy. Then you make the vote. You don't need somebody in there browbeating you. A, that's a problem. B, uh, look, this is too selective. I don't think there's enough voters in there. Why not open it up to personnel guys? Bill Poley and guys like that. They just can't vote for players they were in. And, and C, if you're voting for offensive linemen, because you have no earthly idea what the hell you're talking about, you should be forced to get the tape from the league and, and watch every damn play that these guys play. Cut them up, make them up for them, and go watch the plays. Then you tell me if they're great or not. That's an easy way to do it. Uh, the other thing is I've since done a lot of work sniffing around. The offensive linemen cannibalized each other. 
Baselli was probably going to be the next guy in. He was the sixth guy. I can't tell you how many guys came up to me and told me they voted for him, and they were sincere. They couldn't believe he didn't get in. But what happened is you need to get 80% of the votes. You ready? 80% of the votes to move on. Here's the problem. The two guys in New York and the one in Tennessee probably voted for Kevin Mawai. They Therefore, they don't vote for the other guys. They want to get their own guy in. The guy in Pittsburgh voted for Alan Fanica. The guy in Seattle probably voted for Hutchinson. The guy in Minnesota voted for Hutchinson. There are six votes right off the top that you don't get. It's a 47-man crew because one of the guys was sick. That means three more people don't vote for you. You don't move on. That's what happened to all the offensive linemen. There are voting agendas in there. It's not a good look. It's not a good situation. Vaselli should have got in. Erlocker should not have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I, I, I think it's a it's a bad situation. It's always been flawed. I mean, the idea that this one guy or person, gal, whatever from each city, and that they stump for their guy, like it's, it's horrific, right? Like it's, it's awful. I mean, like whoever thought that this was the best way to do it. I mean. And what gets me is the the venom with with which some of these guys defend the position, like it's beyond reproach, and that this is the fairest and most egalitarian. Yeah, way but you to know what, though, Jason, anything. I got an impression in the last talking about you know all those guys, and I grabbed a bunch of them at the Super Bowl and the day after and everything else, and right after the voting, some of those guys aren't real enamored with the process anymore either. I think they they're all they're, they you ask them. Privately, they they think there should be some changes. You know, the Hall of Fame is who makes the whole process. It's their process. Every yeah, bit of. But it. if the voters, if the voters put a letter together to the Hall of Fame saying, "Hey, we're not taking part in this charade anymore unless we change A, B, and C," I got news for you. Uh, that I think Joe Horgan would listen. Guys, come look. Terrell Owens didn't get it on the first or second ballot. Terrell Owens was one of the most obvious first ballot Hall of Famers in the history of first ballot Hall of Famers. That the process is a joke. Like, it's a clown show. It's an embarrassment. Like, how can you say that this process has any integrity when it leaves a guy like, and look, I'm not saying Terrell Owens is a Hall of Fame human being. I don't know the guy personally, but people say he was a terrible in the locker room. I wasn't there. But I mean, if you watch this, all you have to do, you don't have to be someone who's paid to cover the league, is watch the guy play to know first ballot Hall of Famer, and he has to wait two years. Why? Because some writer's got a freaking ego. I mean, give me a break. That's why I feel like there's no credibility whatsoever to this stupid process. I mean, Brian Dawkins gets in in the first – Brian Erlacher's in on the first ballot. I mean, I think Erlacher's probably a Hall of Famer down the road, but, like, on the first Maybe. ballot? Yeah, I, really? It's a popularity really? contest. It's a popularity contest. It's, but, but, it's but, a but that, isn't machine. that disgraceful? Well, why can't Look, they why can't they open up the, the votes to ten each year? And, and I'm because I'm going to say the five guys that were the you know the ten top ten the five that didn't make the fi- the final five, you can make a case for every one of them. So what? It's the biggest sport going. There's 53 guys on a roster. There's 22 on the field. There's more than any other sport in in North America on the field at the same time. Why? You know, okay. Sorry, soccer, but you know what I'm talking about. But the big four sports in North America. The bottom line is. Why can't they put more guys in at a time? Why, why are you li- limiting it to five? And because every senior guy automatically gets it because they feel it, bad Pete. for him. This came down from Moses like the Ten Commandments. This is how we always did it. Therefore, this is how we shall always do it. That was a pretty good like Bane impersonation from Batman. It's typical. I don't even know who Bane is. It's typical NFL group thing. Uh, it's atrocious is what it is. Um. So Pete, and by the um, way, next year, peeking ahead, three automatics, right? Although some people say one isn't. Ed Reed's an automatic. Automatic. First Tony ballot. Gonzalez is an automatic. First ballot. Yes. What about Champ Bailey? He'd be. He'd make it for me, man. He'd make it for me too. 
if he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, he goes in in year two. And then, the, then, then you got the same crew, and and so you you'll get one of the linemen or two of the linemen in next year. Can't fail for Clinton Portis and it too. Woo wee! <laughs> what a, what a, what an outrageous outrageous <laughs> trade. Um, I, but yeah, Ed Reed is one of the most obvious first ballot Hall of Famers of all time. Correct. Like, 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 uh, like, like, beyond, like, like, like beyond obvious. You think Baselli will get a next year, Pete? He has a chance. I, again, those those linemen, you know, now Jacoby has fallen off. So now instead of having four or five, you're going to have four. And, yeah, I do think he has a real chance next year. Hey, Jason, I, I, wanted, I wanted to, while we close here, because you said something and then it kind of got lost in the shuffle a couple minutes ago, that you don't participate in the process. Did you used to participate in the Hall of Fame process? Well, like I, stopped, I dropped out of the PFWA years ago because they're a party to all this, the Professional Football Writers Association. And, like, while I was at the Washington Post – after a couple of years, the more I kind of paid attention to the process, I was like, I don't want to be connected to it in any way. Like it's, it's just has always struck me as an old boys club sham. Pete, yeah. by the way, speaking of which, did you pay your fifty dollars fee to renew for next year? <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think, I just think the process needs to be streamlined. Why, why can't you have personnel people in there that that actually have have watched tons of tape? You know what I mean? Which, which like of those guys in that room? Too, there there yeah. are a handful. I know a lot of them. Which of them has sat down and watched every every uh, uh, cut up of Tony Baselli or or Alan Fanica? Seriously, no, no, the, nobody's the, doing that. No, but again, but the, the fact that sport that that these writers sit there and get they're paid not just writers, the dude. They're TV anchors. They're radio guys. They're not just writers. The fact that these guys like I kept a guy like Terrell Owens out of the Hall of Fame, but I don't know T.O. personally. I don't I don't care one way or the other. About, Shouldn't uh, matter, right? It, like the, the guy was a Hall of Famer. They kept him out for two years over some BS. Like that is disgraceful, and that's why I feel like the process has no credibility. And like, the Hall of Fame school, because like I love the NFL and I've been to the Hall of Fame and it's great and it's awesome because you love the game and you love the National Football League. But it's a joke. Like it's a sham. Like these guys should be just like embarrassed. It's disgraceful. You know, Nick, I told you last week. I said, you know, the, the talk is some of the Hall of Famers stood up and, and, and polled a bunch of the Hall of Famers and said they didn't want him in their club. Who, that's not the point. It's not a that freaking club. It's not a club. I agree. It's a cop out. This is not Augusta National. It's the NFL Hall of Fame. Like, I mean, give me. It's not a green jacket. It's a gold jacket. Give him the gold jacket. He deserves it. All right, that's all the time we got today on the Friday edition of the podcast. Um, any closing words, Peter, Jason, or are we getting out of here? Go on to the draft, baby. The combine in two weeks. We ready? I got one word. Peloton. 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 I will yeah. crush the over. Yes. Crushing the over. Well, what's the bet? Ride number eight it, will be would... this afternoon when, after I get the kids from school. He said he bought the Peloton. He got the Peloton on Friday when we got back from the Super Bowl. And the over-under was that he would use it 300 times in the first in the four years that he's he's had in the first four years. And we said, uh, you know, it would be like 150 the first year. And then it would go down to 30 and 20 and 10. Well, no, and then, and then Pete yeah. said I won't use it. Pete said I won't use it 17 times by the combine, and I'm just saying. No, I just said that was the over under. I, didn't, I said you would use it. You said 17. I, I, took, I took the over because you're you're all okay. energetic and you just paid for it. Well, you're just saying you set the over, and I will crush it. Here's the final question: at, Right now, currently at this moment, which of the three of us has the highest body fat percentage coming off of fat ball season? Oh, me. Me by far, but I'm working. Yeah, on that it. might be me, right? No, I don't know. I just had a nice cleanse from a stomach virus, so that that actually uh, worked. Well. And, and, I, and I think I think, okay. I think I think on that note, we'll go off into check, the weekend. Check, Pete please. Prisco, yeah. Pete Prisco and Jason Lockett for him. <laughs>
smash that five-star review, subscribe, tell us which one of uh, us you think has the highest body fat percentage. That's really stupid. So let's just end the podcast. And, well, no, here's one you got to, here's one you got to ask him. Ask him if they felt, if they were a little awkward watching Eric cry after, after the Eagles won the Super Bowl. I want did, that did, one. I was hoping that, that, that did Will, did, did, did Will and, uh, and you, Jason, discuss that on Wednesday? The, uh, the crying from our guy, uh, Eric, the conductor, after winning the Super Bowl? At the I Eagles did not know. I didn't know. I'm not, oh, I didn't my know God. you got to find the video. He is Danny absolutely. Danny Cannell tweeted it. He's bawling like a baby after the Eagles won the Super Bowl. In the you studio? No, like at home with his family. Well, how did how did Danny Cannell get the video? Eric, 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 you posted it, right? You posted yeah. it on Instagram? Yep. He should have been destroying that instead of posting it. <laughs> Don't care. Hey, whatever. I, got a, I, got I can't hate on that. Emotion is emotion. Yeah, no, that was, real emotion. It was actually really thing, cool. No, yeah, you, no, no, I mean, the fact that somebody threw it out. Thing. But you, you, conductor, you put it out on social media, or you sent it to Danny and he put it out. No, I, I initially posted it on social media. My sister took some videos during the game, and I obviously reacted a little emotionally throughout. Well, you're well, if you're comfortable with it, then whatever, yeah, man. Wait, did you say, good. wait, hold on, hold on, wait. Did you say unfortunately, Eric, you acted emotionally? No. There's nothing unfortunate about it. No, I, honestly, I have I no shame. It. Look, and here's my honest take on it. Like, I, I, I grew up a Giants fan. Grew up hating the – like, despising the Eagles, especially because McNabb and Andy Reid and company destroyed us year after year. So I really, really hated the Eagles. But, like, I work with a lot of Eagles fans, and, like, I'm genuinely happy for you guys. And I'm happy for the city of Philadelphia because everyone should get to experience that, that feeling of winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, when Arizona State wins a national championship, I will cry too. How about Herm Edwards, by the way, saying, oh, yeah, the thing of the National Signing Day is weird because in the NFL, you draft and pick the players, and in college, they pick you. Hey, Herm, have you been paying attention to college football for the duration of your life? Yeah, you know what? And his, his recruiting class was like 75th in the country. Nice going. We're done. We're toast. Um, you know, so in all seriousness, shout out to the conductor. Congratulations, Eric. To all the Eagles yes. fans out there. You Thank guys you. deserve it. Just and, don't uh, cry the- when I give you the program from the game. That's all I ask. That's I all I ask. I can't make any promises. All right, guys. Uh, have All a right. great weekend. See you Leave guys. that five-star review. We'll talk to you next week.